And I think social media followings are great. Keep doing that. Email newsletters are great. Keep doing that. But if someone that I respect backs the truck up and says, you should chat with Lewis, I'm going to have that chat. And I think that is the ultimate differentiator is that other people respect, put their name on the line and say, you should chat with this person. And I think if you can build credibility in that way, there's really no one else that can um, double up on, on who you are or what you're doing. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Lewis and Kyle show. If you are new here, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, thanks for coming back. Concept, pretty simple here. It's Lewis and Kyle. We're two people. Currently, we're both 22. We're trying to learn from people who are simply put kicking ass. Uh, usually the episodes are motivating. We almost always pick up some interesting idea, tip, trick, or lesson to apply to our own lives. And hopefully you feel the same way about the show. In this episode, my opinion, no different. Today, we bring on Joel Hansen. He does a whole number of things. I'll introduce him briefly now. He advises CEOs on social media storytelling. He's worked with brands like the Los Angeles Clippers, Prezi, and Best Buy. He teaches a cohort-based course on Maven. That course is on building a storytelling engine. And most recently, he's now head of marketing and partnerships at LOI Ventures, a 20 million seed fund backing the brightest founders under 30. This conversation covers Joel's advice for storytelling, whether you're just an individual looking for jobs, whether you're a CEO of a company or anyone in between. Uh, really, it's a mini LinkedIn masterclass. Joel has about 30,000 followers on LinkedIn, which for LinkedIn is a ton. And uh, he kind of shares some of the ways he did that and why. His thoughts on getting married young. He's a young dude. He's married. He explains that. That's pretty self-explanatory. And uh, overall, we just get into his career arc. He's accomplished quite a bit in not too many years. And he tells us some stories about doing that. And maybe there's some lessons from his story. That's all I have to say before we get started. I'm going to switch to it now. Enjoy. Joel, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. I think this is going to be a fun podcast today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to dig into some ideas. Here. Definitely. Well, you've got one of the most built out LinkedIn profiles I've seen, probably because a big part of your, you know, branding and presence is being a LinkedIn expert and LinkedIn influencer. Uh, so introducing you might be quite difficult. So can you just kind of tell us some of the highlights, kind of the background, maybe some of the things you've done since graduating college leading up to your main involvements today? Yeah, before we get going, I feel like those are two um, hot topic words in the Twitter startup community, LinkedIn and expert. So I, I hope that we, we could dig into more than just LinkedIn today, but I think, um, yeah, it, it's been fun to use LinkedIn as a bit of a, storytelling playground and kind of relationship building platform. But um, yeah, I, I just wanted to say that before we lost your listeners, if they're hardcore Twitter <laughs> fans out here. <laughs> but could, could you repeat the question one more time? Yeah, just uh, I'm saying like your LinkedIn is quite extensive the way it's actually built, like the profile not just your posts and stories and things you do share on there, uh, but just like the resume piece is uh, has a lot. So I'm curious if you can kind of share like some of the highlights of the things you've been involved with since college, because I know you're, you've done a lot of speaking, event coordination, consulting, but now you also have what appears to be a full-time job. Uh, so kind of just the general, like, who are you and what are you doing? You know, keeping yourself busy with these days since you finished school a couple years back. Yeah, great question. So I think when I was at university, it kind of hit me in the face that a degree doesn't really guarantee you a job. And so mm. everyone's busy you know, in class taking notes and I'm on my laptop kind of looking for coffee meetings or internships or projects to get my hands dirty with. And eventually I started hedging a bit of my time during the week, 
kind of taking down class time and increasing project time. And some of those projects were um, working on events, you know, hosting interview series, um, testing out stories on LinkedIn, and just kind of trying to, to figure out one thing to the next. And as I eventually landed a full-time job, I think I realized the the career world and at least leaving school is this game of hedging bets against your talents and what makes you feel like time evaporates. And for me, that was uh, storytelling, community building, and really just helping position someone's voice um, in social media. And so um, that kind of led to another opportunity. And, and today um, I have a full-time role with a venture fund here in Canada um, called LOI Venture. And so I'm their head of marketing and partnerships. And then I also do storytelling consulting for founders and CEOs. And so those are kind of the two things uh, top of mind right now um, that I'm staying busy with. Yeah. And then one clarifying. What's up? Go for it, Kyle. Yeah. I was going to say, let's double click a little bit. Double uh, click. Some LinkedIn jargon. Uh, on the where does time evaporate for you question. I think that I've never heard that. I, I really like that idea. Uh, where did you hear it and, and how do you think about it? And when you say like, um, you know, telling stories, that's where your time evaporates, community building, like what pieces of that do you makes time evaporate for you? Yeah, I think I, I want to reference someone on Twitter or maybe some kind of builder like a, a Tim Ferriss or a Wes Cow that might have said that, but I, I actually don't know if, if someone's referenced that before. And, and I don't know if I'm, I'm coining that myself. I'm sure someone said it, but I think for me, when I'm at my desk or when I'm kind of deep into a project in, in a state of flow, um, I think for me, when time evaporates and I get like a knock on my door from my wife or I get like a phone call, I'm kind of like, Oh wow. Like a couple hours just zoomed by and I was, you know, deep working on this newsletter around angel investing, or I was, you know, putting together a report for, um, our founders, you know, in, in our venture fund. And so I think like time evaporating is just synonymous with your state of flow and, and what comes most easily to you and what you, enjoy and are kind of vibing with. And I think for me today, uh, it, it probably would fit in between storytelling, uh, tech, and probably internet culture. I think um, even before this podcast, you know, I was jumping between a couple of discords. I was um, scrolling through Twitter. I was kind of cross-referencing some emails. And for me, that build in public um, relationship between like discord and Twitter and LinkedIn and, and positioning stories and communities on social media is something that time just kind of evaporates for me. I want to dive into the storytelling piece of that with a little bit more detail and like the actual activities that that is kind of composed of. Are you either for yourself or others when you're consulting on storytelling, for example, is that where you and the person you're consulting with, whether that's a brand or an individual, or just kind of talking through, helping them find the words to express something. Do you actually get in and do ghostwriting on people's behalf and kind of listen to them talk for an hour and then come back to them, however much later, with like a synthesized, like, okay, here's the actual story. Like, everyone has a narrative, right? Some people are just better at articulating it than others. Like, what does that actually mean for you in terms of like this, the process of storytelling you enjoy? 
because uh, I don't think you're getting paid to be just around a campfire, so to speak. Yeah, I think for me, the, the first aha moment I had was when I was working to position my story as a graduate, you know, of a BBA program that is very not well known in Canada, North America. And I had to position myself on why someone should hire me for a job. And when I realized that when I got my first job at a university, it hit me and I, I thought, wow, like that was my journey and that was my end goal. But every other founder, entrepreneur, CEO, they have their own end goal of a story or connection that they're looking to bridge. And I started kind of getting tapped on the shoulder and messaged by people saying, Hey, you know, could you speak to our team or could you help our, our C-suite, you know, develop their story and a bit of their positioning. And so a couple of relationships formed and it's still ongoing to this day. And what the work um, really breaks down to is understanding someone's story. So what they stand for, what they're about, um, you know, what people chat about when they're not in the room, kind of, kind of their personal brand and, and their, um, you know, values and mission as a person. And then I think secondly, it's kind of understanding their market. So understanding, you know, who is it that they're looking to build a relationship with? Who's their dream coffee meeting? Who is, you know, um, their, their home crowd that they're looking to like, you know, spend a, a night with or something like that or play, play for, you know, out in the stands. Um, and then I think thirdly, the, the creative part is where do those two connect? Where are those through lines, those narratives, those places that they're hanging out that, um, the storyteller and the, the target market can kind of connect. And that's where I work with the team or, or the founder and say, Hey, here's some low hanging fruit opportunities. Here's some, um, ghost writing techniques. Here's some things we can repurpose. And I, and I'm really just kind of there, um, to bridge those two together. And usually that does live on social media, but sometimes it does live on connecting them to a conference, working with them on a podcast, uh, getting them positioned in press. And so, it is quite um, a hybrid model where I, I kind of set up a relationship and just let them know what's available in the toolkit. Mm. Yeah. I, I, how do you draw that out of people? Like, it's very difficult to just ask somebody like, so what are your values? You know, you have to be observant. You have to know who they are and you have to like experience them in scenarios sort of like outside of work, I feel like. So what are your, I guess, like best practices for drawing out of people, um, you know, those values and, and what they are actually like and actually interested in um, from from different people? Because like, you know, Lewis and I have this podcast where that's sort of what we're doing. And we don't really, if someone was to ask me that question, I, I would have a difficult time answering it. Um, mm. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I think the best part of my job is that I get to pick the people I work with. And from a, from the very beginning, um, or, or we'll say after the first couple, I just made a rule that I'm only going to work with people that 
I stand behind their messaging and what they represent as a founder or CEO. And so I think that from the get-go made it very uh, frictionless for me to get to know who they are, what they stand for, their backstory, because most of the time I already knew it. You know, is it a brand I'm following? Is it someone I'm already engaging with on Twitter? Um, Is it tools I'm already using every day? And so I think rule one is just find someone that you speak the same language that you align with um, on a day-to-day basis and you just enjoy a conversation. And then I think secondly, just like what you're doing on the podcast or what people do in interviewing, you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes. You've got to be in the places that they hang out, you know, in the content fields that they listen to. And that's where there's a lot of, you know, creative work that gets done on understanding their audience and, and the problems they're looking to solve. Um, But I think first step is making sure that you align with them, you know, um, mentally and, and kind of, you get stimulated by the same things. Um, And then secondly, just spending time on problems that they're looking to address uh, with their company or themselves as individuals. So one thing with a lot of these companies that I'm sure you run into with startups and tech founders and internet culture in general is there's a lot of competition around people trying to sell similar stories, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of guys on, on Twitter trying to be the real estate guy or the productivity guy or the crypto guy or whatever else. Uh, it's a two part question because it for brands and individuals, I'm just trying to find a way to work in the drill Hansen story, to be honest. But I think that like, how do you help people kind of stand out and find like the differentiating factors of their story from other people's stories, right? Because even myself and Kyle, what we're doing, of course, is differentiated in some respect that it's Lewis and Kyle doing this, but there's plenty of other shows that are similar in terms of, you know, we have a unique approach, but if you abstract the concept, there's a lot of overlap between any other podcast that does business, entrepreneurship, et cetera. Like we definitely have differentiators, but how to deal with those competition in terms of helping people like make, and like, amplify the differences, right? Because the differences I brought up, like you can always point out differences because it's different people, but how do you make the actual differences like significant and like amplified and useful? Hmm. Yeah. I think the first two that jumped to mind, um, I think the, the first point is leaning in on your audience, your home crowd. I think, um, the writing is usually on the raw on the wall in the sense that, you know, look at your Google reviews, look at your, your cold emails, look at your people asking to meet with you, looking to work with you. Like what is your community already buzzing about in the sense that um, like, what are they supporting you for and, and what hopefully are they already drawn to you for a specific reason versus someone else? I think, instead of looking for that yourself, I think you should actually look for that in your community and what's already being said. And so, you know, looking on social media, looking at like customer reviews, looking at past mentors, past friends, people that have known you in the last five, 10, 20 years and saying, okay, what's different about Kyle? What's different about Lewis in the way that they operate? And I think that actually takes a lot of the pressure off of yourself when you go to your audience. Um, And then I think secondly, understanding that I don't want to be corny here, but um, understanding that it's not always the angle you take or what you do, but actually 
how you make people feel that you're working with or delivering a message to. And so, you know, uh, I forget the, the guy on Twitter. There's a couple of them. I know the ones you're talking about in real estate. Um, like Nick Huber, for example, he talks about real estate, but he does it in a way that he unpacks it and makes you want to learn it. Um, the strip mall guy, he, he unpacks it, but I feel like he does it in a way that um, communicates that feeling differently to an audience. Like maybe he's not trying to teach people and show people how simple it is, but he's actually trying to show people how much he's able to get done with a anonymous name. Um, and so I think like the, the channel and the lane you play in can definitely be the same, but how you make people feel and what people talk about in the room can be very different. Is that yeah, definitely. making sense on your end? Definitely. So okay. to, to turn the question to you, how do you stand out from the other Joel Hansons on the internet and on Google? Because I know there's a few. That's a great question. Yeah, I think um, for me, I don't. They all collaborate. Get... They all collaborate in the DMs. No Joel Hansons <laughs> anything alike. Uh, we have a conversation yeah. pre-pod about how I sort of got lost in a, in a niche that I was not expecting when researching this podcast because somebody with the name Joel Hansen has a popular YouTube channel where he eats an ungodly amount of food. Uh, <laughs> and apparently Joel has a, a, a group chat with every other Joel Hansen on the planet where they, they collaborate like... Uh, like uh, the Citadel of Ricks. No, no, no. This, yeah, this, the Citadel of Ricks. That's where I was I'll getting play. at. Yeah, I'll clear this up. I think a couple of years ago, one of the Joel Hansons, I think he was in the States, he messaged and bundled this all together. I think it was bundled. about 10 of us. And he said, he said, hey, yeah, there's your startup term. He's like, hey, like I just thought, you know, there's a lot of us Joel Hansons out there. I thought we may as well be in a group chat so we could stay in touch on ideas and what we're all working on. And all of us were like, sure, like happy to stay in touch. And so one time my mother-in-law sent like a gift to the wrong email that that wasn't my email and it was like a number or something else that i didn't have and so i like messaged the group and i was like hey like the unusual hansons get this email and, and and no one got it but like just those funny name kind of mix matches that is is kind of a a fun laugh we all get um i was gonna say in in terms of um differentiating yourself mm -hmm. from people that have the same name I think what I've been thinking about a lot. Well, I don't think, I don't think Lewis is about the same name. I think he's more asking in the same, uh, you know, like Maven and some other CBC course, like, yeah. like, um, differentiating based on being at that, that center of, of the Ikigai or whatever, like, uh, not necessarily yes. you versus the, uh, the professional leader. <laughs> totally. So I've got an example I want to pull on here. Lewis, can I kind of speak a bit to your new job? Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So if I'm looking for a growth guy or someone to help me in a CBC, I might go to my audience. I might ask a couple people and people are going to apply. They might reply in Twitter. They might cold message me on, on email or LinkedIn. But if Pomp reaches out and CCs Lewis and is like, Hey, you should chat with Lewis pomp. And that's all it is. That's all I need to have a, a moat around Lewis 
and someone else that trusts him. And I think a huge differentiator that people overlook is really the the community and the home crowd that already supports them. And I think it's people that you've worked with. It's people that you've been mentored by, you know, um, chatted about on, on different ideas. You know, you've done hand-to-hand combat with them. Um, and Sean Puri talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago, where the best way to build credibility is just hand-to-hand combat with people that are already credible and building their respect. And I think social media followings are great. Keep doing that. Email newsletters are great. Keep doing that. But if someone that I respect backs the truck up and says, you should chat with Lewis, I'm going to have that chat. And I think that is the ultimate differentiator is that other people respect, put their name on the line and say, you should chat with this person. And I think if you can build credibility in that way, there's really no one else that can um, double up on on who you are or what you're doing. Yeah, I love that. And I think, so for Kyle and I, the podcast has kind of been what we used as our tool from having no credibility when we were still in school to, you know, through every interview, progressively getting more credible and building those relationships and making people like Pomp, you know, maybe lend their reputation on our behalf on occasion. So for you, I think you did it through some other interesting creative like ways. You kind of were in the same boat, right? You were also in university also without these kind of existing things to just propel you forward. What were some of the things you did? I know you hosted events. I know you did some just creative ways to get people's attention. Like what was your strategy from going uh, from zero to having, you know, big names to back you up? Yeah, I think my secret sauce was I wanted to evoke something from a message or email I sent to be like, like, is this guy for real? Like get a load of this message. Like I wanted to not just send a cold email and be like, here's a story I'm going to tell like my boardroom or friends about. Um, and I think that's a big way that young people can have a moat or competitive advantage around who they are is that they don't work for anybody. So they're not trying to sell anything. They, you know, don't really have like a big chip on their shoulder. And so they're, they're really open and flexible. And so I think, if you can do something that kind of stirs up a reaction in a healthy way, that's a great way to build a relationship. And so one, one that I did was I, I host events, but kind of everyone hosts events that that's young in, in university. And so what I did was um, I, I had a family friend that uh, worked at a marketing agency and one of their sister companies was actually a helicopter company in Vancouver, BC, Canada. And so one of my roles was to be a director for a conference and put together 40 speakers for a 600 person event um, just outside of Vancouver. And so our carrot for the speakers and kind of my first outreach with the message was saying, Hey, you know, CMO of Slack or Hey, you know, VP at Disney, um, we're hosting this event and like, it's going to be great and all. And we've been doing it for a couple of years, but like, if you want, we can actually like helicopter fly you up to the, the venue day of from Vancouver. And it's just like, it's like, what? Like none of them have been on a helicopter. None of them have had an experience to bring to their team and say, Holy shit. We're actually, you know, we're getting like legit service. This isn't just a back room, you know, record the video slap a logo on the back. This is actually a legit event where there's going to be, you know, um, French press coffee, helicopter drop off, 
Tesla sponsor, um, you know, overnight and then like a morning hike. And, and it's actually in a feeling and an experience that is going to stick with you. And I think that's something I've tried to copy and paste in my life is that when I reach out or when I'm building a new relationship, what's going to be that wow moment? Is it just remembering something and following up the next week and saying, Hey, like, how's that new job going for you? And, and maybe it's something else, like not even asking them anything and just remembering something and then connecting them to a resource or someone else in their world that might be helpful. Um, so that's, that's the story for you. I think that's super unique about the helicopters. I wasn't sure if Kyle was jumping in there with, uh, with something else there. So one of the stories uh, you have, this is kind of just shifting gears and not going somewhere related with it, which is okay, of course, uh, is you have a very interesting story you've told on a couple of podcasts about how you uh, created some – I don't want to overstate what the relationship is because I don't know what it is, but let's say like a correspondence with the now CEO or president of Shopify who was then the CEO uh, – probably still response to your emails if you have something interesting to say. And you did that through the surprise gift and like this interesting thing. Uh, but I think that led to you creating this summary of, on why Shopify is a great place to work. And I'm curious if you remember why it was such a great place to work. Like if you can share what, a, what you shared in that essay about like, I mean, that's actually a pretty complete question. Don't need to elaborate. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think when I was in Ottawa, Shopify wasn't as big of a deal as it is now, but Harley and Toby are pretty legendary Canadian builders. Um, they're also pretty high up on the Forbes net worth list nowadays. Um, but I think my goal, like I was like in Ottawa, I knew Harley and, and Toby were in Ottawa, um, but Harley always had a bit more of a storytelling angle to him being the more, um, you know, forward public facing executive in the media. And so my goal was to just kind of go for coffee or, or hang out with Harley before I left back home to Vancouver. And I reached out a couple of times. I think he even emailed back once and he, he's like, Hey, like I'm just busy. And I was like, Hey, that's cool. Like at least he said he was busy, but I just can't leave it at that. Like I, I got a response. And so if that response took a minute, why can't I times that by 60 for an hour long coffee? Um, and so I just did some Googling and realized when you reach out to people with good news, usually they like to help. And so Harley's birthday was coming up, um, according to, you know, Wikipedia or Facebook. And so I meant, I, I reached out and messaged probably a dozen of his friends, um, and asked if they'd want to send a birthday note. Um, and so I, I reached out to like the mayor of Ottawa, founder of David's Tea, um, his wife, like some other people like that he was mentoring, some people at Shopify. And I was like, hey, like I'm putting a surprise birthday gift together for Harley, like you can't say anything. And they're like, of course, of course. And uh, so they'd send like a couple lines over email. Um, I printed them out, put them in an envelope, um, wrapped like a Shopify Globe and Mail article uh, as the, as a wrapping paper. And then I just dropped it off at his desk. And the last note was for me, I think like on the bottom and I dropped it off the day before to his EA in Ottawa. It was like a five, 10 minute walk to their head office. And sure enough, like I get an email back and he's like, I'm game, like whatever you want to do, let's do it. And so it was, it was a really fun 
just eye catcher of like Harley was a uh, and is like he's a hustler. He's a creative out of the box thinker. His first business, I think, was a t-shirt business in university. Um, and so I think we forget that these untouchable people like to laugh, like to have fun, like to like challenge the status quo. And I think obviously there's a, there's a respectable line to play where, I, you know, I'm not going to break into his house or, or do anything crazy, but everyone knows where Shopify head office is. Everyone knows that they can research Harley's birthday. And so if you put two and two together, you can create a memory that opens up a door. And so I think like, for me, it was just challenging the status quo to be like, before I head back to Vancouver, let's give this a shot. Um, and so the story kind of finishes. We, instead of doing a coffee, we actually plan an event around him and David, the founder of David's Tea, kind of speaking to entrepreneurs in Ottawa. Um, and so that that's kind of how the story ended. Did you guys, have you guys built a relationship over time? Have you kept in touch? Like, that, like, I, I love that. I think that that's insane. You have to read the third door uh, if you haven't. I know you said you were you were in a in a way familiar, um, but I think you'd really love that book, and you'd probably find a way to talk to Alex Benayan. <laughs> I think, yeah, we, we, like a little bit here and there. Over, in fact, I'll send you like... that book. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's not like you know we're we're best friends or anything like that, but I think. He mm-hmm. does know, you know, when I send a message or take him in an article, it's like, oh, it's this, this birthday guy that uh, <laughs> was nice to me a little while ago. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit here and talk about, um, you, you started this podcast off with a little bit of hesit- hesitancy around talking about LinkedIn. I feel like you probably understand that there's a lot of, a lot of hate on Twitter, uh, a lot of hate from people in general. I think there's a lot of anxiety around LinkedIn actually, because as soon as you get to college, people are like, Hey, like LinkedIn's the most important thing in the world. If you don't have it, mm. like good luck. And totally. I've experienced that in my own uh, w- with college and and moving up and you know trying to figure it out. That's one of my first pieces of advice to younger students. It's like, well, are you on LinkedIn? And so there's sort of this like two sided like relationship that people have with it. And then there's you who argues that it's completely underutilized. Um, and in a lot of ways I agree, but I want to hear you riff on, on, you know, that sort of collection of, uh, of opinions from me. (laughs) You got it. So this is, this is the math I have in my head when someone makes fun of LinkedIn. Um, the math in my head four or five years ago, Microsoft bought LinkedIn for $26 billion. Point one, point two, when have you ever heard or seen the CEO of LinkedIn in a courtroom, zero times. Point number three, there's about 700 million members, less than 5% of them post on a weekly basis. And so those are kind of my three numbers that I will laugh myself to the bank and say underutilized, free distribution and open you know, opportunity for anyone that has um, an active presence there. And so I think it's not that you need to build a presence or, or be an influencer. It's just understanding there's a reason they are where they are today and make fun of it as much as you want, but understand if you're building distribution or you have a goal or you're looking to meet 
with a certain title of a certain brand in a certain city in the world, LinkedIn is the playground to go. And Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok will always have their pros um, that they beat out LinkedIn. But I think to not understand the ecosystem is now a disadvantage today. I think that's a concise and a It'd be a hard, I'd, be, I'd have a hard time believing that you came up with that at all uh, in your head and you haven't been stewing on the mastermind <laughs> answer to the LinkedIn question of, cause I'm sure you get it all the time. Uh, I want to ask you, so I am not even another question. Just one thing I have to say is as well on that. Yeah. Jump in. You look like you go for it. Yeah. I, just, I wanted to double back. I think I do. And I don't like that university professors tell students to get a LinkedIn pro- profile. I think, the better challenge they should tell students is build awareness and mm. distribution. Like Mr. Beast, no, he doesn't need a LinkedIn profile because he's Mr. Beast. But where did Mr. Beast grow, right? He owned that awareness. He put in years before anybody knew him. And now he could be CC'd on any email thread and someone will say, yeah, I'll have a chat with this guy. Yeah, He does not need to build a LinkedIn profile, right? But... I, I think what he does has is distribution, brand awareness, and he owns his mm-hmm. his domain. And I think like students or, or, you know, if you're just trying to get your hands dirty and be known in your niche, you need to build somewhere. And what happens is that people don't build anywhere yeah. and they sit on a couch complaining about not having a job or a passion project that they love. And I think that's, that's where like it falls short. Well, I think, you know, there's sort of like, an overarching theme here, which is just like going the other way or looking the other way when everybody's going in one direction. And like, you know, this one thing that Lewis told me a long time ago that stuck with me. And it's like, if you're at the career fair, you've already lost. Like you, like you have to, to approach these things in a different way than the charted course, because the charted course gets you the charted path. And that's where, you know, your, your resume hits a desk of somebody who gets a thousand resumes a week and it's just a lottery. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe you'll get a job, but it's probably not going to be something that you want to be doing. And like, totally. you know, in the same way, like if you just get on LinkedIn and like post your classes, uh, like nothing good's going to happen. Or if you just quick apply to a thousand jobs a day, like you're going to get a job eventually, but it's not something there, you know, there's like no process there. It's like, you sort of you have to make a story out of the process of doing all of these different things, just like you've done, Joel, with with LOI and, and getting to where you're at, and Lewis has done, and you know I I will be doing here in the coming months once I I uh, graduate college. Um, but yeah, I think you know it's just this like energy where you look the other way when everybody's going one way. It's like uh, so you know that's one of the big characteristics that I see in you. And if I was to be writing your uh, brand profile or, or, or positioning for you, that would be one of my, one of my key elements. <laughs> yeah, I'll... Very kind. But yeah, jump to the next question, Lewis. I just wanted to double back on that. No, I think that's a good point. And I also like that you're uh, not a LinkedIn maximalist, right? You said, you said build distribution. Here's why I think LinkedIn's a good mm. opportunity in, in a lot of circumstances that is tied to outcomes a lot of people want, but there are certainly other situations Right. Or like if your goal is to become a model, maybe your distribution should probably be on Instagram. But if your goal is to, you know, get something in like the corporate world or many, many other things beyond the corporate world, I do not want to narrow LinkedIn down to that. Like there's a ton of reasons to consider LinkedIn for the the uh, asymmetric advantage from the relative amounts of people who post and people who consume. 
Uh, I had one other thing I was going to say, but I, I do not remember. The question I had. About, I have an interesting yeah, yeah. point again. Do it. Yeah. So Discussions. there's this one. Uh, so Lewis and I have talked about, or well, I've talked to Lewis about how I think that there's a, a like a, a huge parody on TikTok specifically where consumption is generally negative and the upside to production is really high. I think it's interesting how LinkedIn, I feel like that parody is a lot smaller. Like, uh, like consumption isn't always negative with uh, LinkedIn versus like TikTok where it's just a mind virus. Um, and, and so I think that that's another positive thing about LinkedIn. That's not really a question I know. Yeah, but I remember what my uh, point was as well. Though. That was helpful. Go for it, Lewis. My point was on uh-huh. LinkedIn, Right, all these Twitter people, it's such like a shallow criticism to sh- criticize LinkedIn as like a dialogue platform when you're literally not limited. There's no character limit on LinkedIn. This is probably just like point one. It's so obvious that like not worth making it in your three big arguments for LinkedIn. But like these folks are trying to talk about how Twitter's a better platform for like sharing ideas, getting smarter, learning, teaching, etc. And it's like, but only in this, the tiniest of sound bites that remove all context and nuance. Anyway, just had to say that. Mm. It's like... Yeah, well, you, you do have the thread function, though. I mean, I, I do, I'm a sucker for a good thread. Like, mm. you know, our boy Trung Fan, um, like Toby at, at Launch House now, Wes Cowd is so many of them, David Perel, like they, they all, Sean Puri, like they all double down on getting you to fall in love with the next line and the next line and the next line. And I think a thread is very synonymous to like what a blog or article would be on LinkedIn. Um, I, I do think word gets out quicker and stirs up a ruckus faster Mm. on Twitter, but LinkedIn, you do, you know, if you curate and unfollow and, and kind of connect, you could build like a pretty, um, like well-connected niche on there. I just think like a lot of people don't curate their social media followings. And so they kind of like yell at the platform. They're like, oh, this is just noise and it's like well you're the user you created your whole following list like you should probably fix it instead of complaining that's a good point uh so you mentioned a lot of names right there leads well into this question what are some additional sources of influence people podcasts books etc like where you're kind of using to get smarter that could be people you follow on a social media platform people whose books you read blogs newsletters etc because you mentioned a lot of great names there sean he's got great threads west ko obviously is great content wherever she puts it out so who are some of those people kind of currently yeah. who are really getting majority of your attention? Like the emails you're like, oh shoot, got to stop everything and read this when they post new content. Yeah. I'll, I'll try and shed some light on some new ones. Maybe you haven't heard. I think Shane Parrish, he's in Knowledge Project. Canada. He writes the, yeah, Knowledge Project. Um, and that's a great podcast newsletter. I think like he has some really cool sound bites on just like consistency and growth. Um, and I think he also... He's super low key humble in the sense that like, I think he runs like a fund and like an advisory business as well, but like no one really knows about it just cause he's always interviewing. Um, the second one, I don't know if you've heard much about like Lee Jin. She, you know, she's a big voice on the creator economy and has like uh, her own fund. And she, she just like a very cutting edge voice on where the future of like creators and Gen Z's are thinking. Um, I think, I mean, a classic is like, um, I'd say Alexis Ohanian, but on, on a hat tip to Alexis, um, he has a relationship with someone called, uh, Tiffany, Tiffany Zong, I believe is her last name. 
and they have a podcast together called Probably Nothing. And Tiffany uh, is very forward thinking on like Web3 community creators. And she's actually um, like a early stage, like angel investor and just like very public on Twitter. Um, and and yeah, I, I think like the My First Million guys are a lot of fun Absolutely. too. I think they are really good at just open sourcing ideas and projects and talking about real time, like um, ways that they're analyzing trends. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think them them on top of like Steph Smith are just super fun to, to pay attention to. Shout out to Steph Smith episode of this pod. Check it out. We can leave a link to that. And West KO. There you go. We've been talking about it a lot. Um, yeah. yeah I, I think all of those people are great. And I saw you tweeted about the Milk Road, which I've really been enjoying from um, from Sean. Uh, and I think one thing that they do that's really good is like, like the trends sort of like they were talking about Alex Ramazzi the other day and mm. they just, they will pick up like what is most obvious and right in front of your face that you just sort of ignore. And then it's like, mm. they, they will post about it and it's like, why didn't I think to post about that? And it's like, it was super in the zeitgeist like a week ago and now, you know, it's still relevant and people don't know about it. People need to know about it. Um, I think that all those resources are, are really, really good. And I'm going to check out that, uh, Alex. Is it Alexis or Alex? He's the guy that co-founded Reddit, right? Uh, is that who I'm... Is that yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Alexis O'Hanian. Alexis. 776 okay. Fund and Reddit. Yeah. And then the podcast um, is called... Um, uh, probably called Nothing. Probably Nothing. Probably Nothing. Yeah. That'll be in the show mm-hmm. notes down below. You're right for anybody else that Beautiful. Listening. Okay. Uh yeah. What about you guys? Who would be your top, let's say top follow of 2022 in this first month? What would you guys say that is kind of your stop, stop the scroll kind of read? I, mm. I got two and they're both kind of hot takes. Uh, but Rav Aurora, let's go. he's Canadian. Uh, he's okay. a 20 year old journalist who's sharing some less than mainstream perspectives and uh, kind of just saying a lot of things that he just says things that you would not find in the New York Times. Let's just kind of put it that way. Multiplying the New York Times times negative one mm. and flipping it on the other side of the number line, uh, which is interesting. And then the second person is Alex Berenson, who also kind of shares a lot of views with Rav Vor. Alex Berenson got kicked off Twitter and a couple other places, but he's got like the number five most popular substack in the politics department. Uh, those are two. They're completely unrelated from the niches we've discussed on this podcast today of branding, et cetera, et cetera. They're kind of both more political scientific journalists, but both of them mm-hmm. have just been good writers and saying things that a lot of other people are not willing to say. Yeah, it's a tough question. Whenever I get asked questions like this off the top of my head, I just completely lose it. But, uh, you know, Balaji for sure. I very much respect his opinion. I think he's like living in the future all the time. Uh, super interesting to hear what he has to say. I really enjoyed the Milk Road, which has been something that I've been consuming almost every day um, of 2022. So that's like one of the newer things. Um, MFM, I listen to that a lot. The All In podcast, I enjoy. I really, you know, Jason Kalkalnis, um, him and I disagree on a lot of our like political opinions. and But... Somehow I really, really enjoy listening to him talk and he like presents new ideas to me that I wouldn't have otherwise thought about because he approaches things from a different perspective. Um, and, you know, his ability to to talk with David Sachs, who would be I, I would align more with 
and the way that they debate, I think is, is really positive. Um, so that inspires me. Um, and then I'm trying to think who else, um, I think that's it for now. I'll, I'll, I'll think. And then our, our podcast guest from a couple of weeks ago, I'll shout him out. Uh, Joshua Rosenthal. He was super interesting. Talks a lot about crypto. The crypto renaissance is his point and like mapping the past and mapping history onto today uh, and drawing lessons from, you know, what we can expect to come from the future. Um, I think that, that he does a lot of really, really interesting stuff. Very cool. I've written some of them down, so I'm going to check them yeah. out. Cool. I'll throw one more in just for fun because he's Canadian and I saw him last night. I saw Dr. Peterson last night in Miami live. Pretty unique experience, uh, but been revisiting Amazing. his 2017 psychological significance of the Bible lecture series, uh, which is like 14 two to three hour lectures. Uh, but I got YouTube premium so I can like play them in the background because otherwise that's, you know, trying to watch a lecture on YouTube for two hours passively anyway that's that's one other shout out just to keep the canadian spirit strong and i saw him in person last night at a, at a venue not in a uh, one-on-one exchange oh man amazing uh, um i got a couple bonus questions just some yeah, rapid fire same. stuff before Go we sign off kyle do you have one as well yeah uh sure uh so marrying early deciding to get married um let's talk about that for a minute so it's a, it's a common thing here in the South to get married super early. They call it ring by spring. You know, what, how did you go about thinking about getting married early and why did you decide to do it? And what, what would be your, um, like answer to detractors saying you got married way too early? Like you got to wait till you're older, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Yeah. I think for, for me and I guess for us, like my, my wife and I with making the decision, like first we saw uh, COVID as a bit of a loophole opportunity. Like, you know, the stories of how much people spend on weddings and we kind of saw it as like, Oh, like if we don't have to tell aunt Joanne from Saskatchewan, why <laughs> she didn't get an invite, like that's okay. And we could put that toward our first house. And so I think like one was like, I don't know. We, we, we saw uh marriage is like a 50-year play and not like a one-year decision in terms of like the wedding timing Mm. um the second one i think was instead of complicating your life it actually simplified things for us um almost in the sense that it it becomes like a bigger rock and priority that just um simplifies like decisions in your life of what you do on the weekends or um, what things you spend time on. And, and in some ways, like I've actually heard from other people that have kids, like parent entrepreneurs, like they are effective, like no wasting time because they, they're caring for a couple souls, you know, on this planet. And so it's like in a similar way, marriage just gives you a simplicity of like, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of focused on bigger things and building a life that I care about. And I think like, it, yeah, it's been interesting. It does come up in conversation with other people that are focused about family and things like that. And I think the third thing would just be um, my my wife and I have this unique relationship where we still are very pro entrepreneurship and pro startup. And so it it almost facilitated a deeper um, space to 
bring in feedback and accountability and curiosity to a level that I didn't have when I wasn't married. And I, I don't think that'll be for everyone, but I think finding a partner that aligns with your 20, 30, 50 year play, like you just don't have that with a friend. Right. And so the earlier you can get that, I actually think that's a superpower. And so that, that was what our perspective was. Kyle's going to play that clip and play the clip and think it over. Uh, that's, that's my take. <laughs> no, I like it. That, that, no, that's I a love fun it. question. Me and my girlfriend, uh, so I'm 21. She's 20. We're a year and a half apart, but, uh, we've been dating for five and a half years now. And, and so it's a relevant question. Just wanted to, to hear your thoughts on it. Love it. You're 22, Kyle. <laughs> I am 22. Oops. <laughs> uh hey podcast time flies by it's hard to keep track right yes. uh i had something i was gonna oh yeah so one of our recent episodes was with akira the dawn and he basically he kind of he's a musician with a, a no filter and basically like his summary was basically like he had a kid and he couldn't fuck off anymore because he actually had to like feed his kid and basically what you're you said that in a much more uh let's call it linkedin friendly way Canadian. uh a linkedin friendly way that <laughs> become a more effective entrepreneur. So I like that explanation. It's, it's a good way. You know, if someone asks me the question again, I can like, depending on who the audience is I'm with, I have your answer now and I have Akira's answer. And I feel like that's a, that's a value add in my vocabulary. Uh, I want to ask you what the most popular piece of content you've published has been, whether it's just a LinkedIn post that went unexpectedly viral, right? Cause you have this line in your bio that you've gotten like tens of millions of impressions on the platform, but some of those like a meaningful percentage of that came from just a handful of posts. Uh, and we'll, this will be one of our last questions, if not the last one, but like what just blew up on your LinkedIn? I think Kyle, you said you have one more mm -hmm. after this. Yeah. So this is my last question and then Kyle will close this out. Yeah. I think the biggest one I had, which was actually more of like a meme slash joke. Um, do you remember there was that time there was that face app filter going around from like the Russian people or whatever that you'd sync a photo and it'd make you either 50 years older or like 20 years younger. Um, I made a joke about that on LinkedIn, just like at a Starbucks. I was like, yeah, this is kind of funny. Like let's take a spin on, on this current event. And so it was like happening that week, very relevant. And I said, it was a bit of like a dialogue between a job seeker and an employer. And it was like, job seeker applies for a job, uh, employer says like, hey, like we're just looking for someone with a bit more experience. Job seeker like does the Russian like face app filter and like <laughs> looks a lot older. And then like the employer reaches back out and says like, hey, we'd actually like love to connect for a chat. And it, and it's, it was just like this rip off, like at, at first it was a joke, but then I actually saw the, the comments and the dialogue and I was like, damn, this is actually really relevant because so many jobs are five years or up, right? And so a lot of people can't prove themselves. But then also talent meet, meeting like age is also a really interesting conversation on LinkedIn and social media because we're now seeing you don't always need to be the most experienced to have the best idea. And so it got about 9,000 likes um, and I think like one to two million views on LinkedIn. And I was like, wow, this is actually like a timely conversation, but a bit of a, a riff on, on like a joke. Yeah. I saw that and, and had a good chuckle when I was checking out your LinkedIn. Uh, and I think it had like 10,000 likes or something, something crazy. And that's super viral. Um, 
So you mentioned your, your 20, 30, 40 year plan uh, when you're talking about your, your wife. What is your, uh, we'll just go with one. What's, what's your 20 year plan? Where do you want to be in 20 years? Mm. I think to take the pressure off myself, um, instead of giving you a role or a title, I'll, yeah. I'll probably just give you how I feel. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think something I've been thinking about a lot this last year is today is a Tuesday. I feel like it's a Saturday. I am in love with what I do and the projects that I put time toward. And so I think in 20, 30 years, I want every day to feel like a Saturday. I'm still doing projects and working with people that make it feel like it's a weekend. Um, So that's like one state of flow I love to be in. I think the second thing is I love contributing and um, building a dialogue that like I care about. And so that might be in the startup space or the storytelling space, the media might change, but like, I think being in that dialogue, like day in and day out is super um, engaging and like time kind of flies by for me. And so I think that that's the second bucket. And then I think the third bucket to get more granular is I'd love to learn more about uh, the angel investing world. And so that kind of drew me to my heart for LOI Venture, uh, a $20 million fund focused on founders under 30. Um, and I, I think I'm excited to learn more about this world and and really how investing is a game of, of betting on people and believing in solutions before the market does. And I think those two things make investing super fascinating. And so I think like in 20, 30 years, whether that's a fund with a friend or myself on the same team in a bigger capacity, I think that'd be uh, very meaningful to be a part of. I think that's an excellent question, Joel. Thank you very much for joining us. If people listen to this and they want more of you, where should we send them on the internet to find your work? Yeah, I think they can look me up at joelhanson.com. Um, and then on Twitter, I'm just at Joel S. Hansen. Um, and then LinkedIn, they can just type in, uh, I guess, Joel or Joel Hansen as well. So those would be the three spots. Excellent. Thank you so much, Joel. We really enjoyed it. That wraps up this episode. Just a few quick takeaways just from me. First of all, you become proactive once you come to terms with unpleasant truths. So we talk about, you know, how Joel did so much so early. And basically it's because he's one, he started early. And the reason he started early was something clicked. It clicked for him that if he just does what everyone else does, he's going to, you know, get the results everyone else has, which is, you know, a truism you could say. And that more explained sounds like just getting good grades will not really set you apart in the search for a compelling career. So that was the, unpleasant truth he came to terms with, which led to his proactivity. And I feel like for me, that also was very, very true. Early on in college, I realized if I don't do anything special, I'm not going to have any special outcome. And that's what, you know, motivated me to start this podcast and take on a number of side projects kind of early on. Uh, So the sooner the unpleasant truth clicks and you accept it, uh, the sooner you'll actually take action to, you know, either work around the truth or not work, just do something about it. Right. And denying it delays how long you start making steps in the right direction. Joel's great teacher here. Second takeaway is about lurkers versus posters and kind of finding these asymmetries. Talk a lot about how it became popular on LinkedIn and surprise, surprise, his answer is like, I post all the time, right? And 
obviously his posts are very, very good, which makes a huge difference. And, you know, he shares that maybe a very, very small handful of the posts went viral, which accounts for the attention that all of the subsequent posts have had. Uh, so there's some luck there, but there's not really, you know, if you post every day for a couple of years, a couple of things are going to hit, right? That's like probabilistic luck. We've discussed that a couple of times, uh, but about the, the asymmetry, if the majority of people, maybe a thousand to one are just lurking on the platform and only one out of a thousand are posting, you're going to get a lot more attention. TikTok, I have to think the, I'd almost guarantee the asymmetry is worse. YouTube is also quite similar. The amount of people with active YouTube channels compared to the people who actively consume YouTube, that's why some people are successful when they do this, but it takes a long time to see to the other side. Third takeaway is about finding activities where time evaporates. So I think Kyle's asked a bunch of questions in a lot of podcasts about flow state and how do you know? And Joel's answer, as many other guests have talked about, is where time evaporates. Those are the things you're good at. Those are the things that people can't compete against you at because for them, they're watching their days go by and it's really, really tough for them to reach the end of the day. But for other people, they emerge from the state of like transcendent effort, if that made any sense. They're like, wow, I'm done. And I got a lot done. So uh, gravitate towards that and things will be better for you. That wraps up this episode. If you want to support the show, which I hope you do, but of course you don't have to, uh, subscribe. You'll be the first to know when new episodes come out, when they do, and uh, share the episode. If you think someone would like this episode or any other episode, just tell them about it. That's pretty easy to me. Otherwise, you can listen to another one. That's that's your third option. That's what I have to say for this episode. Thanks so much for being here. It's episode 99. That's pretty cool. Next episode will be episode 100. We'll see you there. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.